Chapter 4 of Song of Solomon, verse 12. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, camphire with spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh, uh, aloes, and aloes with uh, all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, uh, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come thou south, blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends, drink, yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. For my head is filled with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night. I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door, and my bowels were moved for him. I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands had dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen that went about the city found me. They smote me, they wounded me. The keepers of the walls took away my veil from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if ye find my beloved, that ye tell him that I am sick of love. What is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou fairest among women? What is thy beloved more than another beloved that thou dost so charge us? My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousand. His head is as the most fine gold, his locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers. His lips like lilies, dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with a beryl. His belly is as bright ivory overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. We'll end a reading there, and we'll bow briefly in prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that thou wilt speak to us from thy holy and sacred truth. Fill me with thy spirit, breathe thy spirit out upon us. May we know round about us, underneath us, the everlasting arms. Come thyself, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now my text is found at the beginning of verse 2 of chapter 5 of the Song of Solomon. Uh, You may remember that I've indicated to you that this is a sacred love song. Uh, This is uh, the the bride 
uh, really the church of Jesus Christ and her beloved, the husband of the bride, the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must always see this book in that context. Not in any other context. It's the bride of Christ and Jesus Christ and the relationship between them. I noted with you verse 7 of chapter 4 on a previous occasion where Christ looks upon his bride and he says, Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. He sees the church as she will be without spot, without failure. And then you have the bride's estimate of her bridegroom in verse 16. Yea, he is altogether lovely. So that's the context for the whole of this book. I know there are those and they have an imaginary history built up uh, to illustrate it, but it is imaginary. Uh, there is no substance in fact uh, for the history that is attached uh, to the book. So I won't go down uh, that road. But in verse 2 of chapter 5, the bride says, I sleep, but my heart waketh. And uh, that's a condition that we might call uh, semi-somnolence. And you say, what on earth are you talking about? Well, half asleep. Half asleep. That's where the bride is. She's half asleep. And I'm going to say this to you. I believe that that describes you and it describes me uh, as Christians. If you're saved, I fear it describes us, uh, we might say, to the letter. Uh, are we alive for God? Are we zealous for God? Are we out and out for God? To our shame, we have to say, no, we're half asleep. And that's perfectly uh, the situation here. I sleep, but my heart waketh. Uh, and as we think about these words, I, I want us to think about the background to them. Uh, because in chapter 4, and that's why we read from it, uh, the Lord describes his church as a garden, a garden enclosed uh, with uh, the flowers and the trees, uh, everything to delight the senses. Uh, you can look and you can see there's the fruit growing on the trees uh, and there are the uh, fragrant spices. And here is something that is delightful. Uh, it's closed off from the world, for we're told it's a garden enclosed and there's a secret spring in that garden because there's a well of living water spring streams from Lebanon. So it has every advantage. Different from the world outside, it has every advantage. Christ looks upon that garden. And then in verse 16, uh, there's uh, some doubt as to whether uh, these are the words of the bridegroom or the words of the bride. Awake, O north wind, and come thou south. Blow upon my garden that the spices thereof may flow out. Personally, I take them as the words of the bride. Here is the church. She has this beautiful garden, or she is this beautiful garden in the eyes of Christ. And she says, Awake, O north wind, come thou south, and uh, blow upon my garden that the spices thereof may flow out. You have this garden, uh, but if, if you want the, the fragrance of that garden to be seen in the world outside, you need the wind to blow. The north wind, the south wind. North wind speaks of adversity and trial. Uh, we have a saying, I don't know if it has floated across the Atlantic to you, the north winds do blow. 
and we shall have snow, what will poor Johnny do then? Uh, Well, when the north wind blows, it speaks of adversity. You might say, why would we want adversity? Because often the church thrives in the midst of adversity. You find the persecution of the church and the fragrance of the church is then seen. Uh, When Queen Mary persecuted uh, the uh, faithful preachers of the gospel, uh, when I mentioned it to you on Reformation Sunday, uh, when a former Archbishop of Canterbury, four former bishops of the Anglican Church, uh, 21 other ministers and 55 women and four children were burnt at the stake, England, in a sense, became Protestant as a result of the persecution of those people. Men and women looked and they said, well, if that's supposed to be a Christian church that persecutes those people, well, uh, we can see a difference uh, between the Church of Rome and Protestantism. And in the time of persecution, and it happened across Europe at that time as well, multitudes, multitudes were brought uh, into the Church of Jesus Christ. When Saul of Tarsus persecuted the church, those who were scattered abroad, instead of keeping quiet, went everywhere, it says, preaching the word. And it's a different word from formal preaching. It's a word that indicates gossiping. And it's not uh, fruitless gossiping. It is speaking of Christ, the Son of God, the Savior. Let me give you another example. John Wesley's father was the rector of Epworth Church, Uh, in Gloucestershire and after John Wesley was saved and became a noted evangelist he went to Epworth and he requested permission of the rector to preach in the parish church he was refused what did he do? he went to the one place where he could stand outside the jurisdiction of the rector he went to his father's grave and he preached the gospel to thousands of people there's adversity uh, the opposition But there's also, you might say, the south wind, the warmth of the gospel, the power of God, and multitudes of people getting saved. God moved mightily in 18th century England. He moved mightily in the 19th century here in revival. The south wind speaks of warmth. You have the adversity, the cold wind, the devil opposing, but you also have the sweet influence of the comfort and power of of the Holy Ghost and a multitude being gathered into the church. Now think of it this way regarding your own congregation. We want the Lord here. We want the Lord's power here. We want this garden to be fruitful and to be fragrant. But surely you you don't want the blessing to be contained inside this building. There are multitudes of people Uh, houses around you, many people perishing in their sin. And if the Lord breathes upon this church, the fragrance will flow out into the community round about. In our Bible study uh, the other Wednesday night, I pointed out that the word for wind uh, in the Hebrew and the same in the Greek uh, is also the word for spirit. So we could say, awake, come Holy Spirit. Come, allow us Uh, To suffer affliction, yes. Come, but comfort us. Let the fragrance flow out into this community around Free 
the Free Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, that men and women who live within, we might say, a stone's throw of this church might feel the power of God, know that God is in this place, as when Christ was in that home and it was noised abroad that he was in the house. So uh, the background here uh, is a fragrant church, a church that loves the Lord and rejoices in his presence and, what's more, has Christ's presence in the midst because the church then says, let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. She wants the presence of Christ. Let the Savior be here. Let him enjoy. Let him enjoy what he has wrought. Let him enjoy the fruit Enjoy the fruit of his labor. He has suffered. He has shed his blood for our sins. Let him enjoy our fellowship, our praise, our worship, our adoration. And then he comes. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. And he entertains her. He says, I've gathered my mirror with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb. And then he, he says, come and be entertained. I, I want you to enjoy me, to enjoy the work that I have done. I will enjoy you. You enjoy me. And we might say, uh, almost a, a strange expression upon, everything now in the garden is rosy. Everything is beautiful. The background is the sweetness, the fragrance, the blessing, the joy, the fellowship. And now we come to uh, the, the selfishness of the bride straight after this tremendous blessing. Uh, the fragrance flowing out and the fellowship with the Savior. What happens next? I sleep, but my heart waketh. Now she is half asleep. We've seen the blessing in the background. Now we want to see the selfishness of the church and the consequence of her selfishness. She comes, or he comes, uh, for she's in bed, she's sleeping, and he knocks, and he calls. And do remember in our first message, we spoke about his voice, and she's all excited. The voice of my beloved, she says, Behold, he cometh. But now there's selfishness. She's not excited anymore. And this is so true to life that it's astonishing. Of course, it's the word of God. We reach the mountaintop. We have a sweet time when we're really close to the Lord. We sing his praise. We read his word. And we think how wonderful it is. How amazing like John Newton put it, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. He's astonished, he's amazed. But then doesn't it happen? We, after we've been on the mountaintop, we get careless, we get selfish, we can't be bothered, we can't be put out when the Lord makes any demand upon us, and we, we drift, we drift from, from the very peak of blessing, we drift into carelessness, and we become half asleep. Uh, John Newton's uh, great friend was a man who suffered deep depression, and he wrote those verses, 
uh, that, that speak. Uh, we're speaking here of William Cowper. Uh, he says, What peaceful hours I once enjoyed. How sweet their memory still. But they have left an aching void the world can never fill. Return, O holy dove, return, sweet messenger of rest. I hate the sins that made thee mourn and drove thee from my breast. Yes, after a time of great blessing, and it's often been pointed out, we are in danger. We become complacent. We settle down. And then we begin to drift The voice of the Lord, uh, it's not a strange voice to us. He speaks, but we don't want to hear what he's saying to us. We don't want the demands he's making upon us. So she says, I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved. What's she going to do? Well, she's going to be selfish. He says, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled For my head is filled with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night. But what does she say? She says, I've put off my coat. How shall I put it on? That's not a big thing, is it? Put off my coat. I'm in bed. She says, I've washed my feet. How shall I defile them? It's a hard-packed mud floor. My feet are clean. If I step out, my feet are going to get dirty. And um, she's... Uh, She's being selfish. Just leave me. Don't disturb me. Uh, I don't want uh, this disturbance. I want to have peace and tranquility in my life. I don't want these demands made upon me. And don't we all react like that? And her her selfishness is, is aggravated sin in this instance. After all that the Lord has done for her, and uh, he, he, he speaks in terms of endearment to her. Uh, in, in verse 1, he calls her my spouse. So you get the picture of a bride who's rejecting the request. And it's a request. She's rejecting the request of her husband. Now you think of that. Uh, and uh, there's been sweet love right up to this point. And now she's, she's too selfish to respond to her husband. But he also calls her his sister. And that's a blood relation. She's a spouse. I know we don't have that in human terms. Uh, but she's his sister and his spouse. So you can think of two growing up together. Uh, same parentage. And how tragic. Uh, she's rejecting Her brother, Christ, is our elder brother. Uh, He's the husband uh, of the church. She's turning that away. And then he speaks uh, other words. He says, my love, you are the one my heart is set on. But she says, no, I can't be bothered. I've put off my coat. And how can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. And I don't want to get them dirty walking across the mud floor. And then he calls her his dove. Uh, That's a tender bird. Uh, The Spirit of God came down upon Christ in the form of a dove. We think of the innocence, the purity, the gentleness of the dove. And he's saying, you're you're the one that I consider gentle, the one that I consider spiritual. 
and my undefiled, you're clean, I've washed you. And then he, he, he turns to himself and he says, my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. I've been out in the cold, damp night. I've suffered. And he makes this appeal to her. And in a way, that's a mild statement of the enormity of what Christ has been through. We stop and we think of Christ. In John chapter 12, he says, Now is my soul troubled. Suddenly, just a few days before Calvary, uh, the full horror of what he is going to undergo strikes him. And he says, Now is my soul troubled. I'm, I'm tossed about. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Will I ask to be rescued from going to the cross? And then he replies to his own question, Nevertheless, for this cause came I unto this hour. See him in Gethsemane, sweating great drops or clots of blood. See him as he pleads with his father, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And then see a strange sight. An angel. An angel comes from heaven to strengthen the Son of God. He's a creator of the rolling spheres, as we sing. He's the creator of trillions, quadrillions, quintillions, and so on, of stars. He's the one who fixed the sun and the moon in their place. He's the one who made the grass to grow and the trees to grow. The one who created the animals. The one who made man and who breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And there he is, the Almighty, the upholder of all things. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us, and an angel comes to him and strengthens him. That, that's how hard-pressed the Lord Jesus Christ is. And we haven't even reached Calvary at this point. There he is in Gethsemane, in an agony. And it says, being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. I find those words astonishing. Because Christ always prayed earnestly. Completely earnestly. So he goes to another level. Another level that, that I cannot comprehend. Being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And there appeared unto him an angel from God strengthening him. I don't believe he put his hand upon him. What I believe is he strengthened him with words. He spoke to Christ. He had a message, I think, and I'm speculating, he had a message from the Father to convey to Christ as he was in agony in Gethsemane. And then Christ went forward, forward to the shame, forward to the spittle, forward to uh, the, the lashing, uh, forward to the crown of thorns, forward uh, to the cross. Man mocking him, Satan with all his hosts assembled, trying to destroy him. And then the Father, the Father afflicting him for our sins. So this is the one who is standing at the door, who is knocking, who is saying, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. And the response, I've put off my coat. 
How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? So, she's half asleep. She's selfish. And her selfishness is aggravated by the plea of the beloved. And I said to you, and I say again, how true to life. How many times can we not be bothered? Oh, I'm tired tonight. I'm tired. I won't go to the prayer meeting. I'm tired. I won't come to the Sunday evening service. I'm tired. I'll just read a very short passage from the Bible. I'll get through it. And I feel a little bit satisfied in my conscience. I'm tired. I'll just have a short time of prayer. I'll just rush through the names. The way that we, uh, we do when we're not saved. I'll rush through the names. I'll not spend time in the presence of Christ. I'll not speak to that person that I've met about Christ. I, I, I'll, not, I'll not raise any stir about the wrong of that person's bad language, that swearing and taking the name of Christ in vain. We're just doing the same thing as the bride does here. I can't be bothered. I'm being selfish. I'm thinking of myself and my own comfort. Isn't that, isn't that true of us? We're half, we're half asleep or we're only half awake. Uh, and that is what the bride is conveying to us here. And that's what the Lord is conveying to us. I sleep, but my heart waketh. I, I know the Lord is speaking to me, but I don't want to hear, Lord. I don't want to submit myself to your control. So that's the situation. But deep down, deep down, something's moving. And that takes me to my next thought. It takes me to the suffering that she encountered uh, because of her selfishness. Because uh, she says, my beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door. She knew he was there. And it says, and my bowels were moved for him. The bowels in scripture speak of the deepest feelings. You can trace it through if you look up the word bowels uh, and you, you'll find that uh, you have bowels of compassion and so on. They're the deepest feelings. Uh, and as I think I pointed out to you last Sunday night, the true child of God, uh, the true child of God may get away from the Lord, but, but deep down, deep down, the true child of God uh, knows, uh, uh, knows uh, Christ uh, and the root of the matter, because it's hidden the root. Uh, the root of the matter is in the true child of God. We mentioned the two women and how the true mother of, of that child couldn't bear, couldn't bear to see the child cut in two. And she said, let her have the child. Well, deep down, if you're saved, there is a love for Christ. There is a desire to be his and to do his will and to walk with him. And she says, my beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door. And his hand is, uh, is fragrant. Uh, some think it might be the fragrance that she has on her own hand. But I, I think it's a fragrance from the bridegroom's hand. Put in his hand by the hole of the door. He won't force it open. And I won't even try to describe the lock of the door uh, because I, I have a very poor imagination. Uh, so he put his hand in and she realized he's there. And now she relents. Now she wants the presence of the Lord. She says, he put in his hand by the hole of the door. My bowels uh, were moved for him. I rose up to open to my beloved 
uh, and my hands dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I opened to my beloved, but here's a sad affliction. Now uh, here is the sorrow and the suffering. Uh, I opened, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. You see, you, you treat the Lord as a stranger. You refuse to listen to him and say, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I'm comfortable here. Leave me alone, Lord. Leave me alone. Well, you, you, you get what you ask for, don't you? And it's a sorrowful position now to be in because her beloved has withdrawn himself. She now appreciates his true worth. And that's the good part of this. You see, we don't like affliction. We don't like chastening. The apostle in Hebrews chapter 12 says, No chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. And that word grievous has the word of, of heavy. Somebody comes to you and says, uh, and you find this in the Bible, I have heavy tidings. I have heavy tidings. The bad news for you. And your heart sinks into your boots and say, oh no, what has happened? Heavy tidings, sad news. Oh, this is going to be sad for me. This is going to, to break my heart. Well, that's the sort of situation that we have in Hebrews 12. No chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but, but grievous. It's heavy. You don't like it. And the alternative is to get away with turning your back on the Lord and to feel no remorse, to feel no sorrow in your heart. And that alternative is a dreadful alternative because it indicates that the root of the matter is not in you. Uh, it says, uh, if ye be without chastening, or of all our partakers, then are you, and I'll use the word that's in the authorised version of the Bible we support, then are ye bastards and not sons. I know that's been made into a foul word in modern English, but it simply means illegitimate. You're not a legitimate child of God. You do wrong. You say, I'm saved, but you do wrong. And you just go on and you carry on and you, you laugh at the scrupulosity of Christians and you say, oh, they're too narrow-minded. I'm a Christian, but I can do this, I can do that. And you're never troubled about it. You're not a safe person. That's why you're not troubled. No chastening is joyous, it's grievous. But afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. And here she suffers. The watchmen, it says, that went about the city found me. They smote me uh, and they wounded me. And the keepers of the walls took away my veil from me. There's, there's a, a difference of opinion as to who these watchmen were, whether they were faithful or unfaithful, unfaithful preachers or faithful preachers uh, who, uh, who add to the affliction. Because uh, sometimes you come into church, you know you've done wrong, Preacher preaches a, a message and say, oh, that was a tough message for me. Yes, uh, you feel wounded by it. Uh, and then the veil's taken away. 
Uh, that, that is, uh, you know, that veil was a veil of modesty that showed she was a husband, that she had a husband, and it's taken away. She's left as if she's, uh, you know, almost a harlot walking through the streets. It's a horrible picture. She's really suffering. And it's her own fault that she's suffering. And every time we're chastened, whose fault is it? It's my fault. It's your fault. We, we point the finger at ourselves. And uh, now she, she, she realizes the preciousness of Christ. And this is the good part of, uh, of the chastening of the Lord. For she says to the daughters of Jerusalem, and again there's some doubt as to who they are, but we can engage uh, the, uh, the prayers of God's people when we've, uh, when we've missed out with God and we're troubled. She says, I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, if ye find my beloved, that ye tell him I am sick of love. It doesn't mean she's fed up with it. We have a word that you find, especially when a young couple fall in love, they're lovesick. She says, tell him I'm lovesick. Oh, and that brings out her desires for him now. And she begins to speak of him. And they say to her, what's special really about your beloved? What is your beloved more than another beloved that now so charges us? And she describes him, and I, I would take all day and you would not even get the afternoon meal uh, if I did, if I were to go into all the details, and I couldn't even expound it properly. So uh, I'm going to jump over this. Uh, She says he's white and ruddy. He's the chiefest among 10,000. But she comes down to verse 16, and that's just where I'll just comment for uh, just a few seconds. His mouth is most sweet. Doesn't that bring us to my two previous messages? Uh, We have looked in verse 1. Let him kiss, or verse, chapter 1, verse 2, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And we saw what that means to us. Uh, it means like the prodigal forgiveness, reconciliation, acceptance, uh, that uh, we uh, are loved by him and so on. Uh, and then uh, in chapter 2, we saw the voice of my beloved, what that meant. Uh, when the Lord speaks to us, he's very near. So, She's thinking of that. Oh, his mouth is most sweet. I want to hear him. I want to feel him near. And then she sums it all up. And you get the complete picture. Yea, he is altogether lovely. What an appreciation she has now. She'll do anything to find him. She's seeking him. She's longing for him. Yes, that's the good side. If there's such a thing as a good side of failure, when the Lord himself draws near after we've sought him and we appreciate him more than ever, we think he is God Almighty. He is equal with the Father, equal with the Spirit. He made all things. He came into this world. His life was spotless. He performed those mighty miracles. He showed how great he was, he showed how kind he was, how loving he was, how compassionate, the friend of sinners. He went to the cross, he shed his blood, he rose again, he ascended into heaven. We appreciate him. And we can say, after saying, yea, he is altogether lovely, this is my beloved, and this is my friend. And the last picture that we have, uh, as we, we bring our message to a conclusion, is they are united. They are united. Good has come out of the evil, 
And in verse 3 of chapter 6, she can say, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. We're back together again. My fault that there was that parting, my sorrow uh, because I uh, spurned him, but I've sought him. The Lord has dealt with me. I've been chastened, but I've cried and cried, and and now I appreciate him ten times, a hundred times more than before. What a friend, what a saviour. And to quote again William Cowper, return, O holy dove, return, sweet messenger of rest. I hate the sins that made thee mourn and drove thee from my breast. So shall my walk be close with God. My walk close with God. Calm and serene my frame. So pure light shall mark the road that leads me to the Lamb. I am my beloved's. My beloved is mine. We're back together in sweet fellowship, in sweet harmony, in sweet love. She was half awake and she was selfish after such blessing described previously. But then, by the grace of God, by the working, we might say, of the Spirit, she came to her senses. She suffered, but she kept seeking because God was with her. And finally, she found him, appreciated him more than ever. And she could say, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. I wonder, is that true of you? Is it true of you? You might say, up to now, I've been half asleep. Well, wake up. Let us all wake up and commit ourselves to the Lord so that we might say, I am my beloved's. And my beloved is mine. Let's bow together in a closing word of prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that thou wilt apply thy truth to all of our hearts. Speak, Lord, to my heart. Speak to every heart. We thank you for this book. Thank you for the relationship between Christ and his people. We pray that we'll cherish that relationship and give ourselves fully to the Son of God. We pray, Lord, that thou would bless our time of fellowship now and the good things provided for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.